Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome to another edition of the Revelation Project Podcast. I am honored and excited to introduce you to someone that I have admired for years and years, Lynn Twist and her partner, Sarah Vetter. Lynn Twist is a global proactivist, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. She is the co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance, a social profit organization that is an alliance between indigenous people of the Amazon rainforest and conscious, committed people in the modern world for the sustainability of life. And she has shared her passion on stage with some of today's top thought leaders, including Oprah Winfrey, the Dalai Lama, Jane Goodall, and Desmond Tutu. Sarah Vetter, who is joining Lynn today, is the Business Development Director of the Soul of Money Institute. She is also a coach, consultant, workshop leader, keynote speaker, and strategist. She is also the major gift fundraiser for the Pachamama Alliance and leads several of their transformational educational programs. Sarah has played a leadership role with the Nobel Women's Initiative. She has co-led delegations to Dharmasala, India, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Liberia. As a major gift fundraiser for the Pachamama Alliance, Sarah has led and participated in more than 19 delegations and immersion trips to the Amazon rainforest. She has raised millions of dollars for the Pachamama Alliance and the Nobel Women's Initiative and is a consummate fundraiser. Oh, amazing. Hello, ladies, and thank you so much for being here. Hi, wonderful. Thank you for that beautiful introduction of both of us. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's just so wonderful to have you both. I've been such a fan of The Soul of Money and your work, Lynn, for years. So much of what you stand for is so aligned with my work at The Revelation Project, especially so much of what you're currently talking about, which is the Sophia century and really the emergence of the divine feminine. So I wondered if we could start with just where we're at now in this time of rupture to life as we know it with COVID and how you really see the divine feminine and the Sophia century playing a role? Yeah, there's a, a very, very uh, deep well of wisdom to draw from right now that's necessary, I think, for us to navigate the times we're living in, honor the past, and create the future we want. So as you said, uh, Monica, um, it's a it's a very, very challenging and epic time, and we're in the thick of it right now. So it's great to to have you ask us questions about it and to talk about it and to just sort of delve into the heart of the matter as we go through this passage, whatever it is. Well, and I know, Lynn, that you really call this time in our history, our history, the Sophia century. And I would love it if you could tell our listeners more about what is the Sophia century? Well, the Sophia century is a, a, I'm naming something that I think is happening in this 21st century time that we're living in. And the 20th century was dominated by war, 
or the fear of war for a hundred years. And, you know, the loss of life, uh, the loss of, of the environment, the loss of so much of what keeps us alive and well on this planet in the 20th century was completely and totally destroyed. And the 21st century had a really rough start, as we all know, from 9-11. Uh, we're 20 years in now as we do this interview and the beginning of what we all call the 2020s uh, from 2020 to 2030, which many people would say, and I'm one of them, is the defining decade, the most defining decade of this century, at least uh, so far, but probably one of the most important decades in the history of life, because everything is at risk. Everything is at risk. The natural world, which sustains life itself, is at risk. Now, the earth will be fine, but the capacity to carry our species, the human species and many other species, may disappear during this 100-year cycle. The um, the breakdown in governance and the rule of law that's so obvious in the United States, but is happening everywhere on earth is a huge crisis. The the Black Lives Matter movement, which is very robust in the United States right now, has revealed, to use the word revelation, has revealed white supremacy, patriarchy, colonialism as never before, which has been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and has dominated this planet. And everything that dominates eventually collapses domination never carries the day. It has its place for uh, a period of time, uh, perhaps, but it never carries the day. And it's all beginning to collapse. And I could name everything, the, uh, not just the ecology, but the economy, our sense of home, the planet uh, itself. So we have, we have found ourselves here at the beginning of the 2020s in multiple crises, multiple crises. And one of the crises is the crises or the crisis of the patriarchy and the feminine archetype. One way of looking at what's going on and what could come out of this that's healthy, that's powerful, that is the direction that all of us would want is to have the patriarchy, the the dominance, the the overbearing colonial white supremacy mindset that we don't even realize that we have to begin to get revealed and loosened and in fact dissolved, let go, so that the divine feminine, which is rising in everyone, in men and women, can rise, can begin to take its rightful role in co-equal partnership with the sacred masculine. And you could say that women will take our rightful role in this 100-year cycle with men, and the whole world will come back into balance. I often tell the great prophecy of the Cherokee people that says that the 21st century is the century when the bird of humanity, uh, which has a male wing and a female wing, and the male wing, by the time the 21st century comes, the Cherokee people have said, will be fully extended for many centuries, will be so powerful and strong, uh, will be in fact muscular and in fact somewhat overdeveloped, while the female wing or the feminine wing of the bird of humanity will not yet be fully extended, will be uh, folded a little bit, not yet fully extended and not fully expressed. And so the male wing being overdeveloped, overmuscular, will start to become violent to keep the bird of humanity afloat. Yet the bird of humanity with only one wing fully expressed 
will be flying in circles and has been, according to the prophecy, for hundreds of years. And the prophecy says that in the 21st century, which I'm calling the Sophia century, uh, the female wing of the bird of humanity will fully extend itself, fully express itself in women and men. And uh, the male wing can then relax a little bit and the bird of humanity will come into a kind of balance and will begin to soar and stop flying in circles. And why I call it the Sophia century is because the word Sophia is an ancient distinction of divine feminine wisdom. And it's divine feminine wisdom that I think will pull us into the next era of the human family, the era of the human family, where we where we can find the um, integration of the heart and the mind of our species, and have a relationship with the mother, uh, that is Pachamama, the Earth herself, that's healthy, that's well, uh, that's loving, that's nurturing, uh, and that we live in in support of life rather than the destruction of life. That it's such a beautiful, beautiful metaphor and prophecy. And I love this explanation of the Sophia century. I often look at all of the ways that wisdom or the word wisdom shows up in the Bible. I really do see what you're saying in terms of just the, the return of the divine feminine needing to really bring the world back into balance. I'm curious. Both of you, Lynn and Sarah, because I know that your work is really, it's always really been about sustainability and ecology and economy. And I'm wondering how what you're doing today with the Sophia Century and really helping awaken women, how that's related to really the foundation of your work as the soul of money. Well, I'll say a little something about that. And then um, I know that Sarah will want to add. I'll just say that the one way of, of talking about that is in 1984, 85, 86, 87, ecological economists, there is such a, a person who's studied the ecology and the economy and how they are related. They both come from the same word. Eco means home. Ecological economists discovered that we had passed what's called the one earth line. The one earth line meaning we're using more resources than the earth can regenerate. In other words, we started destroying the capital, uh, you could say. We went over the one earth line right around 1986-1987 using more resources than the earth can regenerate. And that, you know, kind of consumptive, uh, voracious way we're living has increased dramatically since 1987. And we now use, uh, if everybody lives the way we do in the United States, we would need five Earths to sustain ourselves. So we we now wow. way, way, way more than the Earth can sustain. And I'm telling you that because that's kind of a masculine, you know, provide, provide, take, 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 produce, produce, produce energy. That's part, that's the economy. The econ that you could say that's the kind of male wing of this bird of humanity. And the ecology is the is the care of the mother, the home, the care of the home. The homemaker is uh, usually quite feminine. Eco is home means home in both words: economy, ecology. The ecology is the caring, nurturing, uh, giver of life, the source of life. I'm just citing this because in 1987, ecological economists said that by 2008 we would have a huge financial crisis 
because the ecology and the economy are one. And uh, it would take 20 years for the whole economic system to start to fail because it's based on the ecology. Everything's based on the earth. Everything's based on the mother. Everything's based on the source of life. So the ecological debt we are now in is showing up in economic uh, debt so severe that it's, you know, now we have COVID, so it's made it a thousand times worse. But this is a sort of a, um, insight that I wanted to talk about first because it, it, I want to put those two things together. Ecological philosophies are about the sustaining of life, the conservation of life, the nurturing of life, the giving of life. The economic energy is about the taking of life, about the consuming of life, about the commodifying of life. And, and that that's not all bad, but too much of that is terrible. And uh, too much of the uh, of the ecological and not having any productivity is out of balance as well. And we're so now totally out of balance with masculine energy. And we have to bring the feminine energy in much more powerfully. And women are the carriers of that. We're working with both women and men, and men have uh, huge assets to bring to the table that are feminine assets as well. But where to start, where to actually stop any obstacles or holding back or tentativeness is with is with women. That feminine energy, that feminine leadership that you, Monica, embody so brilliantly, that's what's needed in the world today, in my opinion. And that's why I say the Sophia century is the, the first century of the third millennium. It absolutely clearly to me, must be the century where women take our rightful role, where the feminine comes into its fullness and the masculine can relax and the world can come into balance and the ecology and the economy can work together and be in total collaboration uh, and love, really. So I'll ask. Yeah. And that, so, so that's a little bit, the soul of money is your question, but uh, it, it, it's, it's, well, I, I so get it. I, I so get this piece. And I'm sitting here kind of in wonder with full body chills because it's so true. I, I always refer to like these sexed pairs or opposites in the energy, in the energetic field. And so it's true that this ecology and economy, these masculine and feminine, again, they need each other. They need to be balanced in order for us to create this sustainable world that we want. And also, and I know we'll get into this a little bit more because I, I want to hear your voice in here, Sarah, but I, I really want to talk about the kind of the birthing of this new world. Mm. Yeah. Sarah, I, w I would love to hear what you have to say on this subject and how the soul of money, how you see the relationship with the soul of money into the Sophia century. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm the luckiest person in the world. I get to work with Lynn for the last, actually, it's been 11 years, but the, the sort of the wisdom and the insights that are coming through her that come into me as well are just profound right now. And I'm really reflecting back and thinking about when the pandemic started way back in March, seems like forever ago. And we were in this space of, gosh, how do we navigate these times? So we, we started sharing online and pivoting our business and talking about how do we navigate these times? How do we shelter at home and still feel like we're connected to humanity and human beings and our families? And then we sort of moved into, okay, we're sharing a little, we're sharing about that. That's for everybody. And then we thought, gosh, people are really looking for and wanting 
peace and freedom in their relationship with money, which is what the Soul of Money Institute is all about. It's about a mindset of moving from scarcity to sufficiency. So gosh, let's let's communicate out to as many people as possible on how to navigate these times and looking at how to create peace and freedom with our money and life. So we did that. And then Black Lives Matter happened and more pandemic. And then the numbers went up and like, okay, we're in this for the long haul. So really, really was like a light bulb came through along with the book that Lynn's writing about the Sophia century. It's like, wait, we need to create something to awaken women and men. They're, they're included in this, but to awaken women, to transform the world, you know, to step into their, our power and our prosperity and fulfillment. So it's like this saying that we've said, you know, this isn't happening to us. It's happening for us, which is sometimes hard to grapple with, but it's actually the truth for everybody. It's we're in a huge global recreation, a renew, a relook. There's, there's nobody I know in my life that isn't pivoting and relooking and renewing and recreating their lives uh, in this pandemic and in this uh, awakening of racial injustice. So I just feel like the messages that we're carrying now and that we're delivering are what is desperately out there being wanting to be talked about, wanting to be discovered, like how do we be in service to the world? How do we be in service to each other? And we can't do this alone. I used to think, oh, I got this. I'm going to do my thing. We're going to go out there and talk and have events and be live and impact people and 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 share, you know, our messaging around the soul of money and sufficiency and, and prosperity and all of that. And now it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, that's true. But we, we have to do this together. We have to come on shows like you're talking. We have to all come together as women, as men, and really shift the trajectory of what's happening in this world. And we can't do it alone. So there's something really powerful that I feel is happening in that we're finally looking at this patriarchy. We're finally looking at how did we get here? And we're finally looking at what do we all, all, all need to do? Step in big and shift, shift what's happening. And it's up to all of us. It is. It is. And Sarah, what I'm hearing, let me know if I've got this, but it's, it sounds to me like the soul of money is all about really infusing balance into the economy. And the piece about awakening women and the Sophia century is all about bringing balance to the ecology. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, I so get this. Okay. That relationship is essential. It, it is really like now I'm, I'm completely understanding the link in a much deeper way. Yeah. So fun to be on this conversation because it had me look back at where we were in March to where we are now and our own internal evolution and where we are now. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's really fun to look at that. It's interesting to look at that. I think COVID really catapulted us all into, again, back to a feminine energy, kind of this chaos, this creation place. And, and there's been so much here. But what I'm hearing is that not only has it challenged us personally, but to kind of point back to what you were both saying about so many businesses needing to pivot and to actually go through a creative process or a reckoning to go back to those R words, the, the reckoning, the reimagining, the renewing, the recreating how we're going to be, how we're going to show up now. Exactly. 
Yeah, I don't know, yeah. Lynn, if you have anything to say on the evolution or where we are as an organization and as as women running this organization. Uh, yeah, that was wonderful what you said, Sarah. Well, I also want to go uh, into that topic of birth because it is as if the human family is pregnant with a new evolutionary birth of itself. And I sometimes think of this virus, which is so lethal for many, many people and creating so much suffering. Uh, And as Sarah said, as painful as it is, it may be happening for us, as she said, rather than to us, even though it's taking lives and uh, causing all kinds of havoc. It may be the kind of morning sickness for a pregnancy of evolutionary birth Because we know, all of us know, there isn't a person, even the billionaires who've really won the game that that humanity's been playing, at least that game, everybody knows we can't go on like this. Nobody, nobody doesn't know that. There's nobody in their heart of hearts thinks we can continue uh, pillaging and and, uh, uh, raping and plundering the earth. We know that this is a finite planet uh, and that uh, growth at all costs is not it's not an infinite game we we can't keep growing 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 the economy and uh, the economy will collapse if it doesn't grow that's the way the whole thing is designed so it's a it's a losing game um so we know we have to give birth to something new new ways of seeing new ways of being new ways of living on this planet with one another with other species half you know a million species have gone extinct since Rachel Car- Carson wrote uh Silent Spring which is you know decades and decades and decades ago so we are on a trajectory that we know is not healthy we know is not viable we know we cannot continue on and some of the shamans and elders we work with in the Amazon have named this uh, time as a time when, as a human family, we we in some way have hoped uh, and silently inside of ourselves prayed for something powerful enough and sacred enough to stop us from continuing the direction we're heading. And we just couldn't stop ourselves. And so the earth has done that. She has brought forth this virus. And there's thousands of viruses on this planet. This particular virus that has jumped species is a virus that's taken us and made us stop, made us completely and totally stop. Our species is on total and complete halt. (laughs) The shamans say this is not a punishment. It's an ally that we couldn't do it ourselves. So we've been gifted a, a way of stopping the music, stopping the action, stopping the franticness, stopping the travel, stopping the madness, stopping the insanity, stopping the dis- distractions so that we can go home, go home to our hearts, go home to our homes, but home to our, go inside of our homes and inside of ourselves. And we're, we're like inseminated with a new evolutionary leap as a species and we're pregnant with it. And this is the beginning of perhaps a long birth canal. And as women, we're the ones who give birth. We know what that means. Even people who haven't had children that are women and people who are transgender have some sense of that. And men have supported the birth process. So all of us are in some sort of a birth canal and we, we're, it's painful. It's scary. We're, we have morning sickness and at the same time, uh, and it's risky, but we have the opportunity of birth to something so exciting so beautiful, what Charles Eisenstein calls the more beautiful world 
our hearts know is possible. And what we call at Pachamama Alliance, an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. And so um, that's, I think, the job of everybody everywhere, but certainly the job of the Soul of Money Institute, and certainly the job of the courses that we're giving birth to right now. So beautiful. It's, we're really, we're in the womb is what I hear you saying. Yes. Yeah. Valerie Carr says, it feels like we're in the tomb, but we're actually in the womb. And I think that's true. I love that. I love that. It, because you're right. There's a lot of fear right now. There's a lot of despair. I also think it's really important for us to lament. I actually look at the word lament as like putting some language around what it is that we're grieving or missing, because we are very much, I think, in a period of time that allows us to really stop, take inventory, and enough time really to establish a good baseline or foundational understanding that you were pointing to earlier about like there's something in us that has known for a long time that this is not the way that we have been living is not sustainable. But with this big pause is also, of course, a lot of missing of quote unquote, the way life was. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's creating this environment of deeper connections with each other, of gratitude, of taking the time to really start to put language around how we're feeling. And emotion and feeling are, are also hugely feminine energies that, again, all of what you're saying, I love so much because it, it's so non-divisive. It's about celebrating the masculine energy as much as we're wanting to celebrate and lift up the feminine energy to meet the masculine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. The miracles, the life uh, that has been created by the drive and energy and inventiveness and engineering and an incredible entrepreneurial spirit that is uh, the masculine in all of us. And, and we all have that. You know, I think about uh, we live in San Francisco and I think about every time I cross the Golden Gate Bridge, I think, you know, this is just a miracle that somebody built this thing, that somebody could think this up. Mm, right. Or, or, or these, you know, giant buildings or these incredible technologies like what makes it possible for be, for us to be talking to you and that this can be this voice now that we're bringing forth can be heard all around the world. It's just absolutely incredible. And for that, I know we're all deeply grateful. And now it's out of control. It's overbearing. It's taken over. It's lost its way. It needs to be tempered. And one of the other things that the shamans say is that masculine energy is fire. And fire is really important. It warms. It it makes things healthy and 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 uh, heartful. It's it's you know everybody wants to be by the hearth. Uh, but when fire is out of control, what's absolutely critical is water. And they say that's feminine energy. Mm. Uh, water must temper the fire, and the fire must warm the water. This is we need to work together. And you know, too much water uh, floods everything, and we'll drown. Too much fire burns everything down, and is too destructive. But fire working together with water is the kind of balance that we want to come into as we come through this portal, whatever this portal is that we're, we're calling the pandemic. It, there's a creative energy that's taking place with all the distractions relaxed. You know, we can't shop. We're no, not going to shopping centers. You know, there's so many of those distractions that have gone away, not hopping off and on planes and racing around in our cars and traffic. All of that being gone has given us enough quiet to begin to actually reflect 
reflect, regenerate, rethink, renew, replace, recreate. And that, um, all those rewords that we're, we're all three using are such a powerful part of the time we're living in. And I'm so grateful for it. And this is a time when the water needs to flow in women and men, and the fire needs to calm down a little bit in women and men. And that wonderful metaphor that Indigenous people use is also part of what I think is happening, is those two energies are finding the balance in each other. Yeah, and I just want to add something here that's coming up for me as you're both speaking. I think it's also a time to finally really trust nature, to really look and see what they're doing. So if you look at nature and animals, even living here in the city, they're singing with joy. I mean, they're out, they're about, they now have some space because we're not driving around cars and polluting the air and uh, taking up their space. It's like they're reborn. And if we really mm. look at nature, nothing's, nothing has changed for, for the nature that we all are privy to right outside our doors. They're actually now able to speak. The birds are louder. Maybe it's because we can hear them now. Um, the trees are greener. I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, nature is saying, hello, here we are. Okay, finally, you're seeing what's happening here. And finally, you're stopping enough to really understand that we need to take care of our planet. We need to do what's right to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet, which is the mission of the Pachamama Alliance. But I, I just think nature's screaming to me, at least, and to all of us, like this is, they don't need to pivot. They need to just continue to be. And we need to really learn from nature, learn from the environment, really see what's happening. And that's also part of of what's ahead for us and what we need to what we need to stop stop and smell the roses as they say. I love yeah, I love that you said that and brought that in Sarah because we've been noticing here at the house the deer, the baby deer, the foxes, that it's just that it's everywhere and I feel I feel that same way like almost like nature is like extra vibrant suddenly and sh- almost showing us like look what is possible when we're working together. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It really shows up. I wondered too, if you would mind talking a little bit more just for our listeners about the relationship here to the Pachamama Alliance, what that is, and how you'd like to describe your work in that realm. Well, Lynn, Lynn is the co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance. So I'll let her say what she wants to say as the co-founder and I'll add anything to it. But Lynn, why don't you, why don't you go? Okay. Well, the word Pachamama uh, is a Quechua word. The Quechua people, um, that's the largest indigenous language group on earth. And the Quechua people live in the Andes and the Amazon and in uh, South America and Central America. And the Quechuas uh, use the word Pachamama to mean the earth, the sky, the universe, and all time. That's their definition. We, uh, to kind of short that, shorten that, Pachamama is Mother Earth. And the Pachamama Alliance is an alliance between the indigenous peoples of the Amazon rainforest, particularly the sacred headwaters region of the Amazon, and conscious committed people in the modern world like you and me and everybody uh, on this phone call and, and Sarah and everybody listening for the sustainability of life itself. And 
It began uh, with a relationship, a very intimate and powerful encounter with the Achuar people, A-C-H-U-A-R, Achuar people, in uh, the Ecuadorian Amazon. Uh, Ecuador is a tiny country on the far west side of the South American continent, and Ecuador and Peru are the uh, places where the Andes, the Andes Mountains, is a double range that runs down the kind of spine of South America, and that of the waters that come out of the Andes form the Amazon system, which is the largest river system on Earth by far. Nothing is even close. And so the Sacred Headwaters region is the um, the part of the rainforest at the base of the Andes where the, the forest begins. It's very, the water's very, very dynamic because it's coming out of uh, these mountains are, are uh, many of them active volcanoes, but covered with snow. And the people who live at the base of the Andes in the jungle, uh, the Achuar in particular, have very clear uh, visions and dreams about the world and what's needed and wanted right now. And they called for contact. They had very little contact with the modern world, but they initiated it through dreams and visions, which is the way they communicate. And we were lucky enough to be the first people to come to them and really begin to collaborate with them. And in the very beginning, they told us, if you've, you, we invited you here. And at the same time, if you've come to help us, don't waste your time. But if you know your liberation as a society, as a civilization is bound up with ours, then let's work together. And so since the very beginning of our first encounter with the Achuar people, we've understood through their great wisdom that our survival and their survival are dependent on one another. Their survival being they understand the deep, deep, deep ways of, of the natural world, and they're in total harmony with that. Whereas we understand the the ways of the modern world, uh, and we may or may not be in harmony with it, but we understand it. And so we we'll call this this kind of partnership, the partnership of the eagle people and the condor people. Eagle people being modern world people who use primarily their mind to navigate the world and are successfully doing that. Condor people, indigenous people using primarily their heart wisdom and their relationship with the spirit world to navigate their lives. And they, their kind of intention was to bring the eagle people and the condor people together. This is a, a prophecy that they've been telling for many years and to fly together in the same skies and bring the world into balance. And so Pachamama Alliance is the fulfillment of that prophecy. We not only empower the indigenous peoples of the Amazon to preserve their land and territory, not just for themselves, but for the future of life. That part of the ecosystem is absolutely vital for the future of life and for life itself. And they help us to understand that we need to change the dream of the modern world, move out of the trance that we're in, of the consumer trance, the accumulation trance, the trance sort of dedicated to money at all costs. And they can help us and we can help them. And so the Pachamama Alliance is has work in the rainforest and then work around the world. We do transformational programs that help people change the dream of the modern world and bring forth a viable, just, sustainable, spiritually healthy uh, civilization. Now, Lynn, I want to actually tune into a question because for my listeners, I want to kind of, I want to demystify kind of how this kind of relationship for you personally happened because 
I'm making up over here that there was some kind of like spiritual calling. When you talk about the the visions and the dreams that were initiated through the Ashwar people, was that something that you were also feeling and dreaming about? Um, no, uh, yes and no. I'll just, it's quite a long story. So I'll tell a very short version. I was working on hunger and poverty for most of my life uh, by 1994. And um, I did a favor for a friend and did some work in Guatemala. And while I was in Guatemala, I was with a man named John Perkins, who's also a co-founder of Pachamama Alliance. But at that time, John Perkins was a, a man who had been working in the Amazon for many, many years, had studied shamanism, uh, and was very close to the Amazonian people. And John and I were in a setting in Guatemala where he helped orchestrate a shamanic ceremony in 1994 uh, in Guatemala with, with the Guatemalan Mayan shaman. And I had never been in a shamanic ceremony. I was primarily focused on hunger and poverty in Africa and Asia. So it, 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 I was just sort of out of my league. And in this shamanic ceremony, which was extremely powerful, there was no medicine involved. It was just a fabulous, amazing shaman who was drumming and chanting. I had a a complete and totally a vivid vision. I, I actually, you know, really, no kidding, left my body and became a bird mm. and was flying over a vast unending forest of green. At a certain point, disembodied faces of men with orange geometric face paint on their faces and yellow, red, and black feather crowns started to float up from the forest floor, call to the bird in a strange language. And then they would disappear, and then they would come again, and then they would disappear, and they would come again. And this went on for a very, very long time, and I was literally a bird. I was flying. And then I heard a loud drumbeat. I opened my eyes and realized I was not a bird. I was a human being. The fire that we were organized around, there was a circle of people around a fire, was all the way down to Ember, so it had been a long time. And I shared... Uh, as all the people did who'd had uh, had this experience with shaman, what my experience was. And he guided me and told me this was not a normal vision. This was a communication, that I was mm. receiving a communication from an indigenous tribe and that I needed to go to them. And I was just sort of stunned. And then my friend John Perkins, who'd been working with the indigenous tribes in the Amazon in the same area, said, Lynn, I recognize the headdress. I recognize the face paint. I know exactly where those people are. We must go there. I will take you there. And so that really was, when I refer to dreams and visions, it was just absolutely shocking. I can't tell you. And then after that, I, I resisted it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, really believe it. I didn't buy it. But then the visions didn't stop. When I was in airplanes, when I closed my eyes, when I opened my eyes, I saw these faces and they would not go away. So eventually, John and I organized a small group of 12, including my husband, Bill, and we went to this place called the Ecuadorian Amazon. We found the Achuar people through a, a, a wonderful colleague of John's who knew where they were, what part of the forest they were in. We flew in in a small plane that dropped us off by a river, and suddenly they appeared in the forest, came out of the forest with the orange face paint, with the same feather crowns that I saw. Wow. In so it's a, you know, it's a long, beautiful story, but that's basically what happened. And that was the beginning. That encounter with them was the beginning of the Pachamama Alliance. Wow. I, I'm like holding my heart. I know you can't see me, but what a, what a beautiful life altering 
experience. I'm sure that, you know, many of our listeners can relate. There's this way that you talk about this that I think is so beautiful, but also so true. It's this idea of being able to have an experience like this and be forever changed by it. I love the fact that you were not kind of sold on it and until it continued to be like this persistent energy that really was calling you forth. And I think that it's true that when we stop or really become more involved like in nature, in the indigenous people, in all of the ways that we are all connected, that we are and have access to dreams and visions and ways of knowing that may not be, we may not think are normal, but I think they're more normal than we know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it, it took me you know, really weeks to to grapple with what was my visions. But then I realized, no, there is someone trying to communicate with me. And John Perkins was a very key player in all of that. He's a very experienced shaman himself, was trained by the shamans in the, in the Amazon and uh, really was a, an amazing ally in having me see, no, I must go there with him. And then when Bill came, my husband Bill uh, was very key because he really, the indigenous people totally connected with him and he's the CEO of Pachamama Alliance. And all of this, I'll just say, is very related because the Soul of Money Institute really is very much on the same track as Pachamama Alliance. And now we have access to indigenous wisdom, which is so powerful. Um, so we're so grateful for that. Yeah. And, and I just want to add one thing here, Monica. I've been now doing this work for 11 years, been to the rainforest almost 20 times, leading leading people into the rainforest for immersion trips. And what Lynn is sharing, this ex experience, this coming through her and this wisdom happens to everybody that goes 100% that goes into the rainforest and communicates with, our, with the shamans that we have a relationship with. So... Um, for me as well, I had my own calling and every person that I've led into the rainforest has their calling. So it was profound for Lynn in the beginning of the Pachamama Alliance. But then I, I've witnessed hundreds of people have this experience of a, an opening of a, a different way of seeing the world, of a wisdom that has come through the natural world. So it, it's fascinating to be a part of it going to say, I love that, Sarah. It's almost like it is the portal right into the very consciousness or sourced wisdom on the planet. Like what, how you're speaking about the rainforest is as if, you know, that is itself a, a portal into profound awareness. I wondered, Sarah, would you talk a little bit more? Cause I know that I would love to hear more about your experience, but also the remarkable women's journey. Sure. Let's see. Um, my experience, well, I'll just say briefly around the Pachamama Alliance. My experience was I was living in Silicon Valley, zero attention on the environment and actually just consuming like crazy. And my whole world crashed. My marriage, like everything crashed. And I thought, oh, what, you know, I need to switch things up. So somehow I met Lynn through this various other events and she invited me to the rainforest. I thought, well, this is great. This will be good cocktail conversation back in Silicon Valley. And <laughs> a little did you know, and cocktail conversation. I went there, you know, driving my Range Rover to the airport and consuming along the way and 
making sure I had a cute outfit for the rainforest, but then I got there <laughs> and got into uh, and and my life has never been the same. I had a huge experience myself, huge experience that I didn't really get what it meant. It took me time to figure out what does this mean, and I realized, oh my gosh, I've got to go back to my modern world and and share this and expose people to what's out there, this wisdom that's out there. So that's Pachamama Alliance for me, just that was a, that was a huge, huge turning point and a huge shift in transformation by going into the Amazon. And it actually was great to go in there as a beginner mind with absolutely zero expectation and actually expectation of, oh, this will be a, a fun little gathering. And it turned out to be a life altering, profound experience. And I've seen that, as I said, happen to so, so, so many people. It's been an absolute joy to hold space and witness that. So that's Pachamama Alliance. The remarkable women, we, at the, at the soul of money, it became clear to us, we do some one-on-one coaching, Lynn in particular, and to, to kind of witness what was trans, what, what was happening for the women that we were working with one-on-one was so profound. I thought, God, this is crazy. We, we, well, let's figure out how to have the same transformation or, you know, profound transformation with more than just one woman one-on-one. And the power of being in a group together and bonding together. So we created something called the Remarkable Women's Journey, where we take 10 to 12 women through a six-month journey with retreats and into the Amazon and lots of wisdom gatherings and insights with Lynn, myself, and another woman, Carolyn Buckloose. And that's sort of how it came to be. And now we're in our fourth year, and now we're pivoting again because we're not able to go on the retreats and be together in person and we're still creating a beautiful group of women that are up to something. You know, we they're hand selected, and well, there are people in the in our world that we've come across and that we're in conversations with that are up to something. They're up to something, and wanting to be of service in the world, even in these times. So it's become a really key key program and work that we're doing together. Yeah. So I don't know what if you want more about that, or if Lynn has something to say about the remarkable women and the journey we're on with this amazing group of women that we've now in our fourth year of. Well, what I'm hearing is that it was such a it was such a beautiful starting point and COVID of course is, has kind of interrupted that right now, but I'm also seeing how that's a great segue into the some of the new programs that you're creating around awakening women. Yeah, we had such a powerful experience of working with 12 women at a time. Yeah, that's the remarkable women's journey. It's very uh, invitational, very selective. And we realized, God, there's so many women who probably couldn't, number one, afford this price point because it, 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 you know, we had to really take, we take them to the rainforest, you know, three very, very deep retreats. So it, it costs some, some money to do that. Of course, we can't do that now, but, um, we were doing that. And then we realized this, you know, just out of working with them, this Sophia century kind of messaging started coming through. Uh, we saw working with these women, and we did it three years now, this, we're in our fourth year, how one powerful woman who really uh, lets go of all her barriers, her obstacles, her doubts about herself, and just gives her life over to service can make such a gigantic, humongous difference in the world. We want to work with more women that way. And it doesn't have to be women. We also work with women and men. But to unblock the power of this time in history that's coming through human beings who are conscious is really our work. 
And so we know that if for many women, there's this kind of holding back, being afraid of too much ambition, not wanting to, you know, to show up uh, too aggressively. Uh, all of those concerns sometimes end up truncating the power of the, the feminine that is just desperately needed on this planet right now. So the the women's energy that we want to unleash in both women and men has been has turned into this new course that we're working on that we're so grateful to have you working on with us called Awakening Women to Transform the World. And it'll probably primarily be women that take this course, uh, which starts uh, a week from today or a week from yesterday. But we're, it's also open to men because men who love women and there's many men who see what we need now is much more feminine energy we need much more women's leadership. Uh, so there's many men who feel that way too. I want to support this. So it's called Awakening Women to Transform the World and really unleashing women and the feminine in all of us so that that can come through because that's what's wanted and needed. I love this. I love this so much. There's there's so much here that I, and I, and I want to be able to also kind of, I know we're we're working on on time here so i want to wrap up but before we do that lynn and sarah i i love this piece about working with women in this awakening process and what you're talking about with regard to a life of service it's so interesting because one of my biggest revelations has been really that surrendering over into what I call my life of service, that it, it didn't mean that I had to, you know, like give up making money. But one of the things that I really recognized when I did that was suddenly my life started working in ways that were felt miraculous. It was like when I was, I kind of call it the giver's gain. It's like when I just came from that natural reservoir inside of just giving, of tapping into that and just seeing where that led me. It was almost like the universe would respond by just leading me to the right people and to the right resources. And it was like suddenly abundance was all around me. And before that time, it was really a constant struggle. And so I've even recognized in my work with women that the minute women start to invest in themselves, when they start to actually live from this place of service that you're talking about, I can't tell you how many women, and I'm sure that you can relate, you've seen it too, how many women start reporting like, oh my gosh, like miracles everywhere. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I love this. I love it so much. Sarah, I loved what you had shared too, just about you know your experience. And I love the piece about just keeping it real with the cute outfit because that so would have been me. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> um, <laughs> I still do that. I still like to look a certain way in a rainforest. But- oh, I, I don't think that ever goes away, you know, to a certain extent. I, th- I think, and I think it all gets to belong. I mean, this is, I think one of the things that I love so much about both of you is that you're both so down to earth and so real and so willing to say what's here and still be completely in service to humanity. And it just, it again, back to like, it all gets to belong. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation so, so much. So here's the last question I guess I have for you is what would you say to, you know, the women listening to this program? What would you want them to take away in addition to all of the wonderful things you've shared here? What, what's the one thing you might want them to think about as they kind of move into their day? I'll just say if you are a woman, 
know that your role, your role in this, in your community, in your home, in your family, but I'm really going to say in the country and in the world is way, it may be, and I'll say is, way more vital than you have known before. And to actually own that and turn your life over to what calls to you, what makes your heart sing. You know, there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful quote from Harold Thurman. Don't do what the world needs. Do what makes your heart sing because what the world needs is people whose hearts are singing. And I love that because Actually, what the world needs is people whose hearts are singing, people who are fully expressed, particularly women who are fully expressed. And, you know, we are always moving towards the needs. And that is useful and important. And I do that, too. Uh, At the same time, if we and Buckminster Fuller, who was one of my greatest teachers, said if people did what they really love and what really makes their hearts sing, and what is their unique role on this planet, there would be exactly the number of pilots that we need, exactly the number of cobblers that we need, exactly the number of fishermen that we need. Everybody would be doing what's wanted and needed because they love doing it. And so know that love, what you love, what you care for, what your heart aches for is another form of love, is your place, your unique role, and go there with absolute, you know, passion and let go of any doubts about yourself and know that you are wanted, you are needed, you are important, you are key, your role in the world is absolutely vital. We're depending on you. And that's not a burden that ennobles your life. It's not, it's not something to uh, resist. It's something to walk toward. And in that, there'll be a kind of liberation and a kind of meaning that you've dreamed of. I love that, Lynn. Sarah, what about you? What do I say after that? That was beautiful. I'll, I'll just say to consider that this is happening for us, not to us, and that we're in this together. I mean, really, we are so in this together and we got this. We, we got this. We got this. It's it's women like you, Monica. It's women like you, Lynn. It's women like all of us. Uh, we got this, and this is a and this is a time to also sink into what we're what we love and what we're grateful for. Lynn, we've talked about saying all day, have a day of all the things you love. I love my cup of coffee right here. I love this particular cup that my coffee is in. I love this highlighter that's sitting right here at my desk. I love this new pad of paper that Lynn bought me yesterday. I mean, just name it, name it, name it, say it's like spend the day. That'd be my advice today. Spend the day finding all the little things that you love. I love the shirt I'm wearing today and say it, name it. And that will bring love into your body. It it works. So it works for us, not to us and bring in the love. My heart is so full. I I just want to thank you both so, so much. I am so grateful. So I'll be the first to start today with what I'm grateful for. I've got my coffee near me. I've had my dose of Lynn and Sarah this morning. I'm broadcasting to my beautiful audience. And so thank you so, so much, Lynn Twist and Sarah Vetter for joining us on the Revelation Project podcast. And for our listeners, you all you want to do here is go to the soulofmoney.org 
simply sign up for the mailing list so that you can really be your finger on the pulse of what's happening over at the Soul of Money so that you can be part of their programs moving forward. So thanks again, ladies, and more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.